I am speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. The number of COVID-19 cases continues to rise in much of the country, and health officials are sounding the alarm that this wave could be worse than what we saw last spring. Last week, we talked about how the biggest rise in cases has been among people under the age of 40. But if we've learned anything during this pandemic, it's that seniors, especially those in long-term care, will bear the brunt of the consequences. In fact, COVID-19 has already made its way back into long-term care homes with outbreaks reported at dozens of homes across the country. We're happy to welcome back Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at Sinai Health and University Health Network in Toronto. We last spoke to him in the early spring when many long-term care homes had serious and unfortunately fatal outbreaks. So today on The Dose, Dr. Sinha will help us answer the question, what have we learned that will keep my elderly loved ones safe this time around? Hi, Samir. Welcome back to The Dose. Thanks, Brian, for having me. When we last spoke on The Dose, quite a few months have gone by. Many people were in a state of shock as we watched COVID-19 tear through Canada's long-term care homes and thousands of seniors died. That situation seemed to stabilize over the summer, but we're now seeing outbreaks starting up again. What can you tell us about that? It really reminds us that uh, that the outbreaks that we see in our nursing homes and, and our retirement homes across the country are really the product of community transmission. The more that we as a country keep COVID in check in our communities means the less likely it's going to get in. Uh, and, and this is the challenge that after the first wave, we saw almost one in four nursing or retirement homes in our country, over 1,300 experience outbreaks. Um, and 88% of our deaths have occurred amongst older Canadians, um, principally those living in our long-term care homes. So we've learned a lot through this pandemic and how vulnerable these populations are. And yes, we're doing a bit better this time around because we actually have better supplies of PPE and we now have a better understanding of what our enemy looks like. But what really worries me now going into the second wave is that as we're seeing the community transmission ramp up. We're seeing more and more homes get into outbreak. And uh, it's only going to be a matter of time before that translates into more deaths. Um, And deaths that unfortunately, I think many of us feel are just utterly preventable. So right now, how many long term care homes uh, are in outbreak situation across Canada, as far as you know? As far as we know, I think we have close to 100 homes, if you will, that nursing and retirement homes in Ontario alone, we have about 60 or so nursing and retirement homes at this moment to an outbreak. And just to give you a sense, just a month ago, we had just about a dozen. Uh, We were really at a point where over 300 homes were in outbreak in our province, um, and we got that down to about a dozen by by about a month ago. Uh, But now in Ontario alone, you know, we're, we're back up. Uh, We're seeing many new homes in outbreak in Quebec, where we're seeing significant issues of community transmission, but Alberta and BC. Again, the provinces where we're seeing these second waves take hold is where we're seeing a new wave of outbreaks happen in these settings. 
So it's really interesting because last week we talked about how how the current uh, rise in the number of cases is, is in people under the age of 40, particularly uh, people between the ages of 20 and 29. So how does that translate into so many outbreaks uh, across the country at long-term care homes? Well, this is the thing, right? It's really principally been, you know, younger populations in our, in our country uh, who have really been where most of the infections are happening. But it's those younger folks, for example, the school children who are interacting with grandma and grandpa at, 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 in their bubble, for example. Um, it's the um, millennials hanging out with their colleagues who might actually be working uh, with older people as healthcare providers. All of a sudden, we're seeing that it's just only a matter of time before this spread that we have amongst younger people starts actually seeping in to those broader networks that we belong to that often include people who are interacting with older people, whether they be people in our lives or just people who work with older adults. I'll give you an example. The other day I had one of my patients. She's 88 years old. She's been doing her darndest on her own to stay safe during the pandemic. And then towards the end of our consult, I asked her, is there anything else you want to ask me or any advice I can give you? And then she shared this one with me. She said, my grandson is at Western. Um, as you know that there's been an outbreaks that are happening there. And really, his family home is really in a rural area where there's not great internet access. So he called me the other week and said, Grandma, if the, the outbreak, you know, shuts me out at Western, could I come stay with you at your apartment in Toronto? Just because you have good Wi-Fi and I can do that. And she said, what do I say, Dr. Sinha? Because I'm just not sure this will be safe for me. And so when I reassured her that I didn't think the whole university will shut down, she was greatly relieved. Because here is just an innocent way in which a grandson's looking for internet. You know, he was pitching it to her as some, we can hang out together and we can support each other, I'll get your groceries. But she was worried that this is just an innocent way in which she might be inadvertently get infected. Um, by her own grandson unwittingly, and this is how it gets in. And this is what we're most worried about, is how do we protect people whose immune systems aren't there to protect them like the rest of us? So that woman you cited lives in her own home. How do you think COVID is getting into long-term care homes? Well, where it's really getting in right now, there, there was a lot of fear at the beginning because people said, look, you know, the, the residents obviously are not bringing COVID into the home because that's where they live. So it's got to come from somewhere. And generally, we felt that it was principally coming in from workers being staff. But initially, there was also concern that just families, you know, families coming to visit their loved ones, caregivers would actually bring this in. And so what we did do, um, you know, at the beginning was we said, let's just shut down any what we call non-essential access. And unfortunately, that meant really shutting out families altogether, whether it just be for a pure social visit. But more importantly, we talk about an entire invisible group of people that we call family caregivers, family caregivers who would come in maybe a few times a week to provide uh, essential care, whether that may be bathing or dressing their loved one, helping them with meals, all of those people got shut out. And I think at the beginning, we said, you know what, when there was so much spread happening, we didn't know what this would look like. These were all things that we needed to do. 
But now what we're realizing is that most of the transmission that seems to be occurring as we've been reopening homes to family caregivers and visitors is that we're really seeing that this is coming in through staff. Right now, I'll give you the example in Ontario. In our long-term care homes, we almost have double the number of active staff cases compared to residents who have active cases right now. So it reminds us that we have a lot more staff who are living in communities where there's a lot of community transmission who are in inadvertently getting COVID and then inadvertently bringing it into homes, despite all of the screening procedures and other things we're trying to do to keep COVID out. Well, not to blame the, the victim, in this case, the, the, the care providers who are, who are bringing COVID into long-term care homes, but, but are we doing as, as, as good a job as we can screening them so that they don't bring infections into long-term care homes? Yeah, it's a, and it's a great point, Brian, because we should be really careful about the language we use and, and, and just kind of what we're trying to insinuate here, because I don't think there's a single worker or a family member or a visitor who wants to bring COVID into a home, right? And I think that's the key is that I don't think anybody here in, in our country wants to get COVID. Um, and I don't think anybody wants to pass it to anybody else. But it's, it really is that point is how strong are what we're calling these iron rings that we have around our homes? Because for example, example, um, if we're not making sure that our staff are well supported to be able to identify their symptoms, to screen them so that they're not bringing COVID into our homes, uh, then then we, we have challenges. I think one of the challenges that we have been seeing is that people are getting a bit tired of, of, of just, you know, following all the precautions, you know, having to wash your hands in between every interaction, making sure that you're always wearing your mask properly, uh, that you're wearing, donning and doffing your PPE. When you're tired, when you're exhausted, we can make mistakes. And it's sometimes hard for us to remember the reason why we need to be hypervigilant, especially when the threat is not um, clear and present in our vantage point so that we, that we have that heightened sense. And I think that's the challenge is that right now, uh, our, our defenses are only as strong as we make them to be. And I think right now what we're seeing is, is that despite uh, knowing what we need to be doing, making sure that we have ample PPE, uh, we're still seeing that because of the rates of community transmission, people are inadvertently getting this. And sometimes where we're finding staff, they may be asymptomatic still at this point when, when COVID is getting into the home and it's only after the fact that we're seeing. So I think this is where we have to, as a society, start looking at what we're doing, saying, Right now, maybe we shouldn't be uh, as social as we are. Maybe we should really revert to our own family bubbles uh, because we're realizing that we can't really put 100% faith in believing that we're not going to get COVID and potentially bringing them to the homes. And the reassuring thing right now is I think we've learned a lot from the first wave itself. What we're not seeing is so much as an, the same number of massive outbreaks, but it is early days. And I hope that what I'm seeing right now continues to be the trend where perhaps we're now having a better, we have better systems in place that we can identify it early, isolate quickly, um, and not let small outbreaks become massive outbreaks. Like, unfortunately, like the one that we've seen um, in Ottawa um, currently at this time. Um, I want to pick up on, on, on what you're talking about in, in some more detail. You've already mentioned putting an iron ring around long-term care homes. That was a promise made by governments and politicians. What do you think governments have learned from the first wave? 
Well, I think governments have learned from the first wave is that some of those systemic vulnerabilities that, you know, we knew were, were issues, we just didn't know how deadly they could be, you know, included the fact that when we have people living in older crowded facilities, for example, that increases the risk of COVID outbreaks uh, becoming more deadly. Just when people are living in cramped conditions, that's a recipe for COVID to spread. So the good news is, is that in places like Ontario, where we know that people living more than two to a room Room, um, has a much increased risk of death from COVID-19. We've now seen the, the, the province actually say that we're not admitting people now to three and four bedded rooms. We're actually limiting admissions, which has taken a lot of beds offline, but it will help to save lives. Um, Quebec, I have to say, has admirably gone out there and, and promised a, a, a higher wage rate um, and the support to attract 8,000 new personal support workers into their frontline system. BC just announced a similar measure in Ontario, which didn't really build up its workforce over the summer. It's now proposing some new incentives to try and bring people in. Uh, But the challenge is we're now going into a second wave where many homes are still having staffing shortages, and and that's a problem. So we've done some good work around making sure that we can kind of uh, modify our facilities accordingly so that they can be less crowded, uh, trying to rectify some of the staffing issues issues. But we haven't fundamentally changed any of the the overall parameters. We haven't been able to rebuild homes magically. We haven't been able to attract a whole new range of staff in place. And the challenge is, is that especially at this moment, because we don't have a good control on community transmission, we know that the biggest risk factor for a home to end up in outbreak is when there's a lot of COVID circulating in that community where workers and other people live. So uh, a good question for families to ask is, uh, what have you done uh, to boost staffing here? Well, exactly. I think, you know, Ontario right now hasn't really done a great job boosting staffing. We ended pandemic pay for our our long-term care workers uh, back in July when we ended it for many other people. And right now we're going into a second wave where we still don't have all the staff in place that we need. So Ontario has just made some recent announcements saying we're going to incentivize people to come work. But the challenge is, I know that our long-term care associations tell me there isn't just a ready group at hand who, after seeing what happened during the first wave, feels confident that even if they come and they sign up to work in a long-term care home, that they fully trust that the government or the system really has their back. I think too, we have to remember that so many people were traumatized the first wave around, um, residents themselves, families, but also workers who really felt that when push came to shove, they weren't at the front of the line to get the resources, such as the personal protective equipment they needed. When they needed staff reinforcements, it took a lot longer to get them in some places than it needed to be. Um, And so now as we see the number of homes in outbreak arise every day, I think a lot of people are now saying, I don't know if this is the right job for me at the moment, and if I want to take that risk. Um, Hopefully, it'll be less traumatic than the first wave around. But I'm not sure whether we're going to get through a second wave relatively unscathed right now. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I but I'm, I don't have the full confidence right now that we're going to um, weather this completely unscathed. 
Between today's wellness fads and news about tomorrow's medical breakthroughs, it's hard to know what health information actually applies to you. Luckily, there's a podcast that breaks through the noise, TED Health from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts that break down the questions you didn't know you had. Will eating a plant-based diet make you healthier? How does your neighborhood impact your health? How will medical treatments change in the future? Learn all this and more on TED Health. Find TED Health wherever you get your podcasts. For people listening who have someone they love living in long-term care right now, what other questions should they be asking the home uh, to find out if it's safer than it was during the uh, during the spring. You know, I think it's important to just dialogue. If, if if someone has a loved one who's in a home, you know, certainly, hopefully, the home has been good about communicating with people just to let them know what they're doing, how things are going, what their challenges might be. Because every home is different. Some homes, you know, aren't having staffing problems. Many others are. Most homes are not having. Uh, personal protective equipment access issues others are but i would i would certainly reach out and say what can what can we do to help you know what can we do to support you to help keep mom or dad safe because i think right now uh, this really is a challenge. And if you hear, for example, that the home uh, is struggling with staffing, for example, maybe there's a way that as a family caregiver, you can be able to go in and provide some support safely to make sure that your mom or dad or your loved one is getting the care that they need and that support that they need. I want to, I want to ask you a question now that, that I think people who have loved ones in long-term care and in retirement homes are beginning to ask right across the country. Is it safe to continue visiting our elderly family members in long-term care? I think there's certain things. Again, we have to remember that the ways that you can make it more safe for you to be able to visit your loved one is understand what are you doing. If you're out at a club, you know, out every night dancing and yelling and, you know, you possibly have a higher risk of having COVID. But if you're managing your your family bubble, um, if you're practicing hand hygiene, if you're if you're physically distancing when you're out, if you're wearing a mask, if you're doing all those sorts of things, um, and then when you're when you're actually going to visit your loved one, if you're following the procedures and the protocols in place, you know, how safe is that? It's probably pretty safe. Um, I can't, there's, we always, we're always taught in medicine never to say never, never say always. Then I think the other thing too is we have to remember how much we've learned about how much um, people have suffered from not seeing their loved ones. Uh, loneliness, isolation, um, even the ability just to get a hug, for example, um, or receive care from, from loved ones. I, I think, again, if we're following all the precautions, if we're being very vigilant, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, I think if your loved one does want you to visit and values your your, your visit over even their their worry about getting COVID-19, uh, I think most many of my older patients and I think many people say, you know, they just would love to see their loved ones uh, because that really, especially at a very gloomy time for many residents in these settings, it's, it's nice to know that you can still have that occur that has been so important for people's well-being. The Ontario government has announced that starting next week in certain areas where there are high numbers of COVID-19 cases, only those who officially register as essential caregivers will be allowed to visit their loved one in long-term care. Each resident in these homes will be allowed two essential caregivers. What do you make of this measure? 
I'm really happy about this actually because at the very beginning of this pandemic we locked out any visitors and any what we call family caregivers. People who for example would come and visit daily to feed their loved one or just be with them to provide some calming reassurance especially if they were living with dementia and behavioral issues. Uh, so we lobbied hard uh, through the National Institute on Aging and with a number of experts saying that we should even be allowed to have family caregivers come into long-term care homes during an outbreak because just like the staff, they don't want to bring COVID in. They don't want to harm their loved ones. They want to be there to support them, especially when we're having staffing shortages in the middle of outbreaks. Um, and just even during the current state, having that extra pair of hands that can provide eyes and ears and support, I'm really, really happy and relieved that the government didn't go back and just say we're shutting everybody out again, but we're recognizing the importance of family presence and the need to still allow family caregivers uh, to, to be able to come in and support their loved ones. Do you worry about other visitors being shut out who aren't able to take on that uh, primary caregiving role? I do, because again, you know, while I say I'm relieved that we're, we haven't shut out the family caregivers, still shutting out visitors who are just coming potentially, you know, once a week just for some social support, for example, that was absolutely integral to the well-being and the loved ones. So, you know, are there going to be losers in this situation? Absolutely. But we're all losing because with community transmission way up, um, with these homes, you know, in the line of fire, uh, again, we're trying to do everything we can to protect lives because these are the most vulnerable lives. And these are the lives, well, these are the places where we've lost over 7,000 Canadians so far. So what is your bottom line message to our listeners about what we can all do to keep seniors in long-term care safe? The bottom line is, is that, you know, our, their safety is based on what we're doing out in the community. Um, and so if you are not worried about your own health, um, please be worried about their health because, there are parents, there are grandparents, there are veterans, there are brothers, there are sisters. These are real people. Um, probably a lot of people out there know of loved ones who've died in these situations. Um, and so I just really appeal like so many of my other colleagues to say, um, our actions, you know, it's that butterfly effect. You might not think that this will cause you much in the way of harm. And you might say, if I'm young, well, if I get it, it's not probably going to cause harm to me. But it's the fact that this, this spreads. This spreads into more vulnerable parts of our population. And this kills. You know, I'm not going to chastise people because that doesn't work. Um, but I'm just saying that... Uh, you, everybody out there has someone who's older and, and, or, or knows someone who has an older loved one who's in care. Um, and if we can do it for someone, let's do it for them. These lives matter. And uh, we need to really um, link all of these consequences together to really help us understand how our actions really do have consequences. Samir Sinha, thanks so much for coming back on The Dose. Thank you very much for having me, Brian. That was Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at Sinai Health and University Health Network in Toronto. Younger people are largely behind the current spike of cases of COVID-19, but that is having a spillover effect on long-term care and retirement homes, more than 100 outbreaks and counting across Canada. Just knowing what we know about COVID-19 means long-term care should be better able to handle new outbreaks. Quebec and British Columbia were proactive in hiring thousands of additional workers for care homes. Ontario has provided incentives for more hires but did not react as quickly as other provinces. Concerns about burnout and attrition continue. 
the people who operate long-term care homes can't rebuild them in the short time since the first wave. So here's your dose of smart advice. The impact of isolation on residents of long-term care homes is tangible. No one is saying you should stay away from loved ones because the impact on them has been devastating. But if you do want to visit, know the COVID risk level you bring to loved ones. The more you meet lots of people in indoor spaces without wearing a mask, the more you should think twice about visiting. If you do decide to visit loved ones in long-term care, follow safety protocols and the rules at the care home. You should be screened for symptoms of COVID-19 and you should wear PPE supplied by the care home. Today, we focused on seniors in long-term care, but next week on The Dose, we'll talk about seniors at home. We'll tackle tough questions about how to keep them safe, including the one many of us are struggling with. Should we get together with our older parents, grandparents, and other loved ones on Thanksgiving? If you have questions you'd like answered on that topic, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at nightshiftmd or at cbcwhitecoat using the hashtag thedosecbc. You can find The Dose and White Coat Blackheart wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our show so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.